Hey, this is Matthew J. Cochran, and we're about to take a break from our usual broadcast so that I can share this special presentation with you. This is from a sermon I was privileged to preach at my local church, Christ Fellowship of Tampa, and the topic is on forgiveness. You'll hear some references to The Dark Knight Rises, the new Batman movie coming out, and that's because we're in a at-the-movies series, as many churches are, uh, a clip of Batman uh, of The Dark Knight Rises played, and then we began the sermon, and we pick up right here in the arena. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to come before you and just be about your business. I pray that you would open our ears and open our hearts, uh, that not a single word would come out of my mouth that's not something that uh, you have for us to hear. And I pray that you would help us to uh, discern exactly what it is you're trying to tell us. In Jesus' name, amen. So where the clip would take us is uh, Batman coming out of retirement is what this new movie coming out is about and so uh, the way the second movie ends is that there's a uh, a very bad thing has happened and Batman is blamed uh, the city of Gotham blames him they no longer want him to be their hero there's actually a quote from the movie where Commissioner Gordon says that Batman is the hero that Gotham needs but not the one that it wants right now so he goes into hiding, and no one can blame him. But as this new movie begins, Batman has to make a choice as Gotham falls into ruins, whether or not he's going to come back out of retirement or not for the very people that have rejected him. He has to make a choice, number one, to love his enemies and do good for them. He has to make a choice to forgive. And there's a particular quote from the new movie that I think has a, a resonating effect where uh, the woman who plays Catwoman says, you don't owe these people anything else. You've given them everything. And Batman replies to her, not everything, not yet. So these are the very people that have rejected him and he's going to keep giving. So with that in mind, we're going to look to what, what God expects from us in regards to loving our enemies and to forgiving. Whether or not there's ever really enough that we can give. If we'll look first... Um, in Matthew chapter 18, I'm going to start with just the first part of the passage. We'll go back to the other part that includes the parable. It's uh, verse 21 is where I'm going to begin. Uh, then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him as many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times but 70 times 7. Some translations say 77 times. It's a difference in the translation of whether or not it's 70 plus 7 or 70 times 7, but it really doesn't matter how many times the point Jesus is making is that it's a lot. And if you get that the point is he's saying keep forgiving, then you've gotten the point. He's not saying, okay, once you've gotten to 77 times, go ahead and quit. He's saying keep going. Uh, the interesting thing that I find 
Peter and the other disciples would have been uh, in their Jewish schools they went to as, as young men would have heard from the rabbis that they were required to forgive three times, no more. Once they had forgiven someone who sinned against them and then repented, they were to forgive them three times. And then on that fourth time, they were not obligated. Of course, they could choose to forgive beyond that. But they were not obligated to forgive beyond the three times. So Peter knows Jesus. He's been walking with him for a while. And he says, this is not like other rabbis. Jesus is different. We know that the rabbis teach us not to commit adultery. Jesus says, even looking on a woman with lust is adultery. The rabbis teach us that we shouldn't kill, we shouldn't murder. Jesus says that to have anger against your brother is the same as committing murder. So Peter is saying, clearly, Jesus is not like the other rabbis. He goes above and beyond. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go above and beyond the three when I ask him this question. I'm going to be generous and say, should I forgive all the way up to seven times, Lord? He thinks he's being very generous. And, and, and I imagine, you know, we, we blame Peter for a lot of you know, foot and mouth, and we say, Peter said a lot of stupid things, but I, I imagine it that the rest of the disciples were probably nodding in agreement. Yeah, seven times. Good one, Peter. Yeah, that's probably a great idea because they understood also that Jesus goes above and beyond. They knew that three was the requirement, so they were probably saying, yes, seven times sounds good. Thank you, Peter. Uh, but then Jesus, as he so often does, rebukes Peter a little bit. This one's gentle. He doesn't rebuke him with, get thee behind me, Satan, or anything like that. But he does say, no, no, no. I'm not saying to you seven times, but 70 times seven. He tells him to keep going. He continues on with a parable. But I want to talk about, before we get to that, um, uh, like any good Baptist, I have three points. I have three points to go through that forgiveness is mainly three things. Forgiveness is more than these three things, but I'm going to focus on these three things. First of all, it's humbling and it's sacrificial. It's not easy to forgive. It's especially not easy to keep forgiving after you've forgiven someone more than once for the same thing. Sometimes it hurts to forgive the same offenses over and over again. If we'll look at uh, Luke chapter 17, verses 3 through 4. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. That, that's not only irritating to keep forgiving someone, it's, it's very humbling to have to keep going back. Yes, I forgive you. It, we look at it as weakness to keep forgiving someone that many times. So I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever had to forgive someone more than once. Well, let me rephrase that. I don't know how many of you have children, but if you do, you've had to forgive someone multiple times for the same thing over and over and over. I think, I think just today, I've probably forgiven my kids on multiple occasions for the same thing, and I left about 10 minutes after they woke up. <laughs> so you can imagine how many times in, a, in the course of an entire day when I'm with my children, I have to forgive them time and time again. But not only that, but I'm part of a church. I'm a full-time employee of a company. I go to restaurants. I'm married. There's a lot of different opportunities to have to forgive someone for the same offense over and over and over again. And I'm just going to throw in there, I'm sure plenty of people have had to forgive me for the same offense over and over and over again. So forgiveness is it's incredibly humbling, but it's not weak. It's the stronger person who actually keeps forgiving over and over again. We, we have it in our heads that it's weak to keep forgiving the same offense over and over again because we haven't stood our ground 
and taken our stand and dug in and said, no, no more. But if you look to the example of Jesus, that's not what he did. And speaking of the example of Jesus, forgiveness is obedient. Forgiveness is following in his example, but it's also following in in his command, what he's told us to do. There's several places throughout scripture where he's told us to forgive. I'm going to look at a couple of them right here. In Mark 11.25, we're told to forgive so that we'll be forgiven. It says, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven also may forgive your trespasses. And that's not the only place where we find a command to forgive in order to be forgiven. I think the, the point being made there is a, is a very powerful one. If we want to be in fellowship with God and with other people, we have to follow that command to obey. In Colossians 3, 12 through 13, it says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if you have a complaint against one another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. That word in there, must, so you also must forgive as your Father has forgiven you. It's not just forgive so that you can be forgiven. It's you have been forgiven and therefore you must forgive. It's a response to what we've already received, the forgiveness we've already received. And so as a response to that, we move forward in forgiving others. And how could we not? After all we've received, how could we hold on to a grudge against somebody else? How could we not go... And, and find peace with other people after we found peace with God through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. It's a theme all throughout the New Testament where we find forgiveness in Christ, so you must forgive others, time and time again. Even after the Lord's Prayer, after Jesus taught his disciples to pray and gave a model. He said, just as, you have, uh, just as you forgive, so my Father will forgive you. But he adds to that one, if you don't forgive, my Father will not forgive you. That's, that's a powerful statement. That's, that's a command is what that is. That's something telling us that we have to do it. It's one of the, it's one of the steps of obedience in the Christian faith that I think we, we least want to follow. We want to do what God calls us to do. We pray for God's will, but then we hold on to grudges we have against other people. And we wonder why he's not giving us the next step to follow. He said, well, you haven't obeyed that one yet. Why would I give you the next step? Obey, forgive that person, walk in obedience there, and then I'll give you the next thing to go on. And my main focus is point three. Forgiveness is freeing. Forgiveness frees you and it frees the other person involved. It, it takes you out of the prison you've built for yourself when you won't forgive someone. It restores fellowship with God and with other people. To continue uh, what we were looking at in Matthew 18, Jesus tells a parable in response to Peter's question. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pray, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he said 
and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell on his knees and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he could pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw that he had, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, I could have paraphrased that. I've read it multiple times. I could have just told you what happened there, but I believe that faith comes through hearing, and so I read that entire passage because the power of that story is through hearing it. There's a lot to that story that we can see ourselves in there. We may not, we may not be slaves to a king who have been forgiven a debt, who have to go and... Uh, settle debts with our fellow servants, but we are servants of God, the King of Kings, who has forgiven every debt that we owe. So in that way, we are very much like this, this slave. How we, we look at him and say how silly that he would be forgiven all that debt, and then he would go on and try to get a, a much smaller debt out of his fellow servant, and through force. But don't we do the same thing? We've been forgiven everything by the Most High God, the King of all kings. And still we go to our fellow servants and try to get from them something much lesser than what we've been forgiven. And we demand it as though it's owed to us. We demand it as though we're entitled to it. But we've been forgiven so much, our, our natural response should be to forgive. And, and when we do, as this servant did, he literally went to a prison. He was locked away. But we also put ourselves in a prison of our own making when we don't forgive. We sit in the prison of our own making until we choose, as this person had to stay there until the debt was forgiven, we, we stay in prison until we choose to let ourselves out through forgiving. I want to tell you about, uh, I'm calling this a tale of two friends, because I, I have two friends that have similar situations but very different outcomes. And it, and it plays very well into this story. Um, the first of my friends, his wife sinned against him greatly. She came clean to him. She told him what had happened. But he still holds a grudge to this day. It's been a couple of years. They're still married. They remain together. But he's always unhappy because he's chosen not to forgive his wife. I've talked to him about this, and I said, you know what you need to do. He says... He said to me, he, he, he confessed to me, I know that what God wants me to do is forgive my wife, and I don't want to, and I will not do it. I know that the step of obedience God wants me to take is to forgive my wife, and I choose to disobey him. I will not forgive her until she comes crawling on her knees in tears, showing me that she has had some pain for what she's done. That's his prison, not her prison. He thinks that he's holding her 
in a jail cell. He thinks he's holding her, but she's not the one that's in prison. It's him. He'll never be free to have peace until he lets, until he lets her free from what he thinks he has her in. I have another friend, and this happened around the same time, to be honest with you, and I always wondered why, but maybe it's just so I could prep for this sermon. I don't know. <laughs> the second friend, his wife committed a great offense against him. She came clean to him. He was heartbroken. This is someone he had been married to for five years. But he knew that what he needed to do was follow Jesus' example and forgive her. Ultimately, after all of his forgiveness, she ended up leaving him. So these two are no longer together. Whereas in the first example, they're still together, but he's chosen not to forgive and stays unhappy. In the second example, my friend chose to forgive. He's free from the bondage that he could have put himself in if he would have, cho if cho if he would have chosen not to forgive her. But even despite that, she left him. She told him flat out, you're a great man. I'm grateful for your forgiveness. Thank you so much for forgiving me, but I don't want to be married to you anymore. But this, in this example, this friend doesn't live in a prison of his own making. The first thing he told me after he told me the story about how his wife had done this to him, confessed it, and then left him, is that he was praying for her. We go back to how forgiveness is humbling. Think about someone committing such a great act and, and, and then leaving you after you've done nothing wrong and then choosing to get on your knees and pray for them. And tell me that's not humbling. That's one of the most humbling things anybody's ever told me. I had tears in my eyes when my friend told me this because I, I saw this great example before me of someone who could forgive. It would be hard for me, I know, to do something in that same situation, but I look to my friend and say, here's a great example of someone who not only has forgiven her and given her, uh, given her the freedom of not locking her away, but he's praying for her. He cares about her spiritual well-being. He wants her to turn back to God. He has moved on with his life. He's found joy in Christ and, and continues to move on in what God wants him to do. But he's got peace because he's not holding a grudge against his ex-wife who left him. He's free from that prison. When we've experienced a lot of forgiveness, I think we, we better appreciate it. I don't just think that. The Bible says that. He who has been forgiven much loves much. This is another, another parable. And, and Pastor Bruce just mentioned this parable a few weeks ago when he did his rewritten series. He told stories of how you can rewrite your story through forgiveness. And he talked about the woman who, who brought the alabaster jar. And she came before Jesus and washed his feet. And she dried his feet with her hair. And she... And she uh, wet his feet with her tears. This woman, uh, while everyone else was looking down on her, Jesus understood that she had been forgiven much. She knew she was a sinner. She didn't come to Jesus thinking, I deserve to come to Jesus. She didn't come to Jesus thinking, I deserve his forgiveness. She came to him thinking she didn't deserve his forgiveness and she was unworthy to even come before him, which is probably why she was at his feet, because she knew she was unworthy. But, but the people that were there in that home for dinner, they didn't understand that until Jesus told the parable. He told of two men that had for, been forgiven, one a greater debt than the other. He said, who do you think loves more, the person that forgave him? Well, the one who's been forgiven more. 
And Jesus' response to that was just, that's right, that's correct. It is the one who's been forgiven more. So maybe sometimes we don't remember how much we've been forgiven. Maybe when we hold a grudge against other people, maybe we've forgotten how much God has done for us in Christ. And even when I say those words, how much God has done for us in Christ, I, I, I'm, really, I'm using shorthand for what I could never even begin to describe. It, it, sounds so, it sounds so minimal when I try to put it into words, when I say the work of the cross, or when I say the gospel, or when I say the, 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 the saving work of Jesus Christ. When I say anything like that, I just it fails to really describe all that he has done for us. Sometimes we need to be reminded. So as a reminder to all of us, let's just think about all that Christ has done for us, all that God has done for us in Christ. He loved every one of us so much that he became a man, walked the planet as a perfect human being who never sinned, not once, and then died a humiliating terrifying, painful death on a cross, which is a, it's a death, it's an execution that was only for the worst of sinners. And here's a man who knew no sin, who became sin on that cross in our place. And as if that wasn't enough, he didn't just take on all of our past, present, and future sins and everything we'll ever do wrong and restore us in relationship with God through that. He also gave us his righteousness He credited us with every good act he ever committed that we could never commit. We could never be perfect, but we were given, we're clothed in his perfection. And if that wasn't enough, after he died, he rose again three days later. And then he went back to God and stands at the right hand of God mediating for us. He's gone so far that he not only died to take on our sins and then gave us his righteousness, but after resurrecting from the dead, he goes back to the Father and mediates for us, even now. And then, as if that wasn't enough, after he ascended back, he sent the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us and with us on the earth so that we wouldn't be alone, to comfort us and to guide us and all the other things that I couldn't list if I had all day that the Holy Spirit does in us and through us and with us. As if none of that was enough. If we read all the way through to Revelation, we know how the story ends. If we look at all that God did for us in Jesus Christ, how can we possibly look at another human being and not forgive them? How can we possibly look in the eyes of another person and say, I'm the master over you that controls whether or not you're forgiven? How, how can we look at another person and think we have that authority? When the king has forgiven every debt we've ever had if we're in Christ. So what we need to do after we've been reminded of all the forgiveness, as we look to people, search our hearts and look to people that need to be forgiven by us, and really it should be mentioned that if there's someone we need to be forgiven by, it would be beneficial to go to them and confess We must love, do good, bless, and pray. We should do acts of kindness for the person who's offended us. We should love them. We should do good for them. We should bless them, not curse them. And we should pray for them. 
all of these things are very humbling to do for someone that has committed an offense against us. There's a, an example that uh, Pastor Bruce has given, and it's, and it's in the, um, the book Rewritten, where he talks about a businessman. He went into a partnership with another businessman. Before he knew it, the guy that he had partnered with took over the business and cut him out. They voted him out, gave him a pink slip, and for a little while, he was very hurt and he held a grudge against them. But after time, he realized what he needed to do, and he began to love the person that had offended him. The book says that this man uh, bought a gift card to the, to the guy's favorite restaurant for his birthday. Would you do that for someone that, that had committed an offense against you? That would be hard. That would be hard. It, sometimes it's hard to want to do something like that for someone that committed a little offense against you. Some, some little thing. No, last week you said this to me. I'm not getting you a birthday present. But this person had committed a great offense against him, and he, he blessed him. He gave him things that he knew he would enjoy. And not only that, but he prayed for him regularly. He prayed for the business that he had been cut out of to prosper. I asked myself as I was reading through, like, could I do that? I would like to think that I could. I would like to think that if someone did that to me, I could commit an offense against them, but I, I don't know that I could. In my own power, I know that I couldn't. Forgiveness is always a supernatural act. Forgiveness is always something that you're enabled to do by the power of God working in you. My last point on that is that forgiveness releases the offender into God's hands. That's what you're doing. You're releasing them into God's hands and saying, I trust you to do what needs to be done because I don't understand what needs to be done. We, we don't take revenge because we're not the ones who ultimately are just. God is just. So when we put someone into his hands and forgive them, we know that justice will be served one way or another. And in a, in, in a, in a, in a room this size, I don't ever want to make any assumptions. I don't ever want to make any assumptions. I, I, I just went over basically... Uh, a bit, of a, a bit of the gospel at the end of what Christ has done for us. But, but maybe someone here, you know, maybe all of you have heard this before, maybe all of you have accepted this truth before, but maybe there's someone here that hasn't. And I don't want to make any assumptions that all of you have experienced this kind of forgiveness. Because as I said, sometimes we may need to be reminded of what God has done for us, but maybe we just need to be told what God has done for us if we don't know it. Maybe we haven't experienced that forgiveness and maybe that's why it's hard to forgive others. But when we forgive, when we experience that forgiveness, we're truly free to be in fellowship with God and with other people. So once again, God loved the world, came to earth as a man in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Everything God ever wanted us to know about himself he revealed in Jesus Christ he lived a perfect sinless life never committed a single wrong act against another person and yet he went to the cross and died a humiliating painful death to take on our sins and he gave us his righteousness and if we will believe in him if we will put our faith in him for forgiveness the Bible says that if we confess our sins God is faithful to forgive us our sins 
So if we confess our sins and look to Jesus Christ as the, as the payment for all of those sins, as the provider for the forgiveness of all those sins, God will give us that peace. He will give us that forgiveness.